Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome. We're back for another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. And this week we're going to be talking about MIA. MIA. I don't remember this episode at all. No? No. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> kidding. We've been looking at this one, looking forward to this one for a while. Yes, we have. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, one of the things uh, that I've been thinking about a lot lately has just been how grateful I am for this whole experience and to be in the place that we are now to talk about the season two finale, which is easily one of the most important episodes of the series. One of my favorite episodes, one of your favorite episodes. Um, I'm just grateful that, you know, here we are one full season in now to the podcast because season one's not a full season. Sure. So yeah, here we are. We've done two seasons. Um, it's been such a great experience getting to connect with people and you know, have a dialogue with people and just everything that's happened so far and, and to kind of keep the ball rolling on that and, and know that we've got a lot left yet to go we do. so that we do um so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have here today uh mia is directed by michael zenberg it is his fourth of nine episodes that he would direct he's also a producer on the show uh it's written by donald p belisario this is the eighth of 16 episodes that he would write uh which we were remarking uh before we started recording how these days with a lot of genre television you tend to have the creators or co-creators write a, lot. a larger volume of episodes. For sure. Um, and, you know, part of that, obviously, is we're talking like a 13-episode season, as opposed sure. to 22-24. Um, and I'm sure that he was involved enough, that it wasn't like he was just a, a you know, a passive producer-creator. Oh, I'm sure. And I, I feel like there may, and, and I don't know, like, because they're different, like, writing practices and union rules in Hollywood, like the, the Writers Guild, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if he had a hand in writing more episodes. He just threw writing credits out at other people. Yeah, I mean, um, that's certainly a possibility. But I, I, I do know, like, yeah, even though they didn't write, like, I think he was very hands-on throughout the entire run of the show. Yeah, and it would make sense, especially just thinking about, like, the, the transition from Shock Theater into The Leap Back, mm-hmm. knowing that he wrote The Leap Back, but he did not write Shock Theater. Sure. You would think that he would have a pretty big hand. And plus, you got to imagine that any episode that Deborah Pratt is writing, that he probably had some sort of input, perhaps. Sure. You know, whether... I mean, probably not the early ones that she's written. Those seem to be pretty much just sort of like standalone teleplays. But later on, you know, when she starts writing certain episodes that have a little bit more to do with, like, the mythology of the show, you know, makes you wonder if that was a little bit more... Like, they would talk about an idea, and then she'd be like, I'm going to write that episode, and then she'd go write the episode or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. Um, Speaking of Don uh, Belisario, our last episode, last week, Seabride, we were talking about... Yes. Uh, we weren't sure whether or not he was still involved with NCIS, right. and Larry Ganey, he commented on our page uh, that apparently there was some falling out between him and Mark Harmon, and he, he left the series over that. Interesting. And I, I guess it, uh, something like he... After the, the NCIS spinoff started, he sued to get, you know, fairly compensated for yeah for those spinoffs. Right, right, right. So that's interesting note. Thanks, Larry, for that for that tidbit. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, it's interesting because uh, Mark Harmon, 
he's an interesting guy. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've read. I've just read a few stories about him, and one thing that sticks with me that always makes him a little bit beyond reproach, in spite of some of the stories I've read about him, is the fact that um, he his um, sister, uh, yeah, our older sister, was married to Ricky Nelson, and yeah. at one point he basically got the kids away from them because they were doing a lot of drugs and he didn't think mm-hmm. they were a good influence. And so he took their kids in and like, you know, helped to raise those kids. And I just think that that's, you know, pretty incredible and remarkable. And, mm-hmm. you know, in spite of, of even myself being like a fan of Ricky Nelson and kind of feeling like, man, that's a horrible thing to have happen. But at the same time, if you're, you know, freebasing cocaine on a fairly regular basis, you probably shouldn't be running kids. Yeah, get the kids out of there. Um, so, so, you know, on that front, it's like, good for you, Mark Harmon. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've certainly read some stories about how he can be a bit of a control freak and, oh, yeah. you know, kind of a bit of a taskmaster on the set and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, which is, which is interesting knowing now that there was a conflict between him and Belisario. Yeah, so. Enough to run him off his own show. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But speaking of this show... That's right. So air date is May the 9th, 1990. So we're almost... We're recording this almost 20 years... 28 years, years. rather, to the day. <laughs> After, yeah. Uh, and uh, our leap date is April the 1st, 1969. Uh, our leapy is Jake Rollins, and we're in San Diego, California. Mm-hmm. Not our first time on April the 1st, is it, Des? No, it is not. What was what was the other time? Disco Inferno. That's right. Another mythology episode. Yeah, which also gives us some emotional punch uh-huh. and also has to do with Vietnam, which yeah. I continue to contend is a running theme of the entire show. And interesting, like when we've talked about this before, MIA is kind of the the first part of a accidental three part. Mm-hmm. You know, this one and then Leap Home Part One and Two coming up. And I think, I mean, they're pretty, like, sequentially, they're pretty close. Like, this is April 1st, 69, Leap Home is in, around Thanksgiving of 69, and then Leap Home Part 2 is in April of 70. Yeah. So I think that's the closest, like, like, sequential leaps that we've had. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, especially for the journey that that not only Sam, but Al takes as well, when you think about it, it, um, it does feel very... There's a heavy continuity here. There is, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I have so much to say and a lot to unpack when we get to the Leap Home Part 1. Yeah. About Sam and his and his rules right. in this episode versus the next episode. Sure. But let's get to this episode. Yeah, let's do TV it. TV Guide. Sam's Leap lands close to home for Al, Dean Stockwell, who insists Sam's mission as a detective in 1969 is to keep a vulnerable nurse from forsaking her MIA husband. Sam leaps in, and we get like the full camera shot starting from his heels all the way up the body. Yep. And he is dressed as a woman. That's right. He he looks like he's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, yeah, as we mentioned in our last episode, he's fairly upset at first. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 not again, not a woman. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's stumbling around in the heels. Uh, and then he gets a glimpse of himself, however, in the mirror, and yeah. he's clearly a man. Clearly, in, yes. You know, in, in women's clothing. Um, and at, it's, it's you know, around this point that all of a sudden his purse starts talking to him. Yes. <laughs> Jake, they're coming out the back. Jake, Jake. Yeah. And um, we get a glimpse inside his purse. There's a walkie-talkie in there, and there's also a gun. Yes. Yeah. 
And then uh, two men burst out. They see him. Boner and Pusher. Boner Boner and Pusher. Coming this fall on NBC. Oh, God. Uh, That would have been a spinoff. They, they, obviously, they recognize him as a narc. They call him narc. They point the guns. Oh, boy. And the credits. And here we go. And then when we come back, um, before they can actually... You know, shoot Sam. Luckily, and the cop car comes around the corner. Up, Sam and man, yeah. they pepper that car with bullet. Like there's flames shooting out the front of that car. There's yeah, like, there's know, oh yeah. There's uh, I always forget. Like there's one shot that's used in the opening credits a lot of, of one of the one of the two police officers like coming over the door to to fire off a shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when I watched that episode, I always want to attribute it to to another. Episode when I see that in the opening credits, I always want to attribute to another episode. But yeah. yeah, that's it's a very dramatic shot, right? But, but not Scott Bakula or Sam at all. No, yeah. no, yeah, it's, that is interesting. Um, and then we also we also get another who who we can easily assume is a police officer mm-hmm. who's kind of like on the roof shooting down, shooting down. Who yeah. will who will soon find out is, is Skaggs, yes. um, who is uh, uh, Jake's partner. Yeah. Um, so they shoot down. Boner and, boner and Pusher. Boner and... The, yeah, so they shoot down Boner and Pusher. Pusher, I'm, I'm sure, and Boner is clearly not his given name, but Pusher is probably not really this guy's name. It's just that sure. that's how he's described in the credits because he's never given a name within... So I'm pretty sure it's more his occupation than sure. his Sure, okay, name. but still, I'm going to call him... Yeah. I'm going to call him Pusher. Pusher, yeah. yeah. Boner and Pusher. Boner yeah. and Pusher. Yeah. What I love... That's uh, so, so wrong. What I love during the shootout, like, I don't know if this is historically accurate or if this is just... Uh, a cheap economy of storytelling. I don't know if you notice on the dumpster, mm-hmm. there is a sign. It looks like someone just printed off on slightly larger than eight by eleven paper. Yeah, and they just laminated it and they just stuck it on the side of the dumpster, and it just says San Diego Sanitation Department. Nice. Literally looks like they just typed it up, printed it off, boom, slapped it on the dumpster. We know where we're at. Very observant of you. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it in high def. For this yeah, week. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, after the, the, the smoke settles, smoke clears, um, they think that um, that Sam's been shot. Yeah. Uh, but he hasn't. He has this, this quick line where he's like, I'm a man. Yeah. And his partner kind of jokes saying, like, I think he's got a concussion. Sure. Um, I don't know if he joke. Like, it's not really like, a joke. You're right. Like, like he's yeah. trying. Like, you know, I think he kind of, like his partner kind of choked or, or something happened, and he's trying to cover for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's definitely a, a case of uh, of um, covering the guy. Yeah. It's, Co- it's covering humorous, his partner's ass. Humorous yeah. to us, but but yeah. In, yeah. in the scene is not. Yeah. And he's and he's definitely covering Sam's ass. Yeah. Uh, Skaggs is played by Jason Bakey, who uh, I'm sure anyone who owns a television would probably recognize these days because. You know he's he's been on every Chicago show there is because he's like the lead character on Chicago PD. Yeah. Um. You know he's done the crossovers with Law and Order SVU. He's been on. You know. I mean. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh okay. So I, I knew they're both Dick Wolf shows. I didn't know that they had crossovers between the Chicago shows and the and the Law and Order shows. That's what um, IMDb tells me. Yeah. So if you're listening outside of Chicago, like we we record and we live here in Chicago, the Chicago shows are kind of a big deal here among the the Chicago acting community because. Unlike a lot of shows where they may take place in Chicago, but they do their primary shooting somewhere else and they just get establishing shots here, those shows are entirely shot yeah. in Chicago. And so all the main actors are outside talent from L.A. or New York, but the day players 
the smaller guest starring roles that you see from week to week are primarily Chicago actors. Yeah. Uh, the desk sergeant in PD, I can't remember the character's name now, but it's played by Amy Morton, um, mm. who's a big deal here in Chicago because she's a company member of Steppenwolf yeah. Theater Company. Yeah. Uh, so those shows are what they are. Uh, I, I will defend those shows to my dying day. They are not high quality TV shows, sure, um, but they serve a purpose because they are they are very much like in the old school vein where you can just turn it on. You don't have to pay yeah. too much attention. They're nice. They're slick. Man, if I I'll tell you what, if I was still in college, I would probably just eat them up like crack. I mean, mm. when I was in college, we watched so much Law and Order SVU. It's not even funny. Yeah, and you know, which is still in the air. <laughs> it's yeah. getting ready to go into its twentieth season for sure. But uh, also, Dick Wolf knows like yeah. that's the kind of show that it, that it is. Yeah, I actually uh, read a thing once. Uh, this was back when Lost was really popular. Like people were weighing the merits, like serialized TV shows like Lost, which are very like high concept versus Law and Order. And he's like, yeah, those shows are what they are, but 10 years from now, try catching an episode of Lost and Repeats and just catch any random episode and try to follow that episode and see what's going on. Sure. And he's like, I, I think he said, like, we are creating a product for the ages. Sure. 20 years from now, you can turn on any episode of Law and Order or one of these Chicago shows. You don't have to know anything. You can just be entertained for an hour. Yeah. You know, but the thing is... And, and, and God love that frame of mind. They're not going to write themselves on your soul. Quantum Leap did, and true, you know, and 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 I think for a lot of people, Lost did, and you know, or Battlestar Galactica did, or and I'm sorry, but you know, there. No one, no one talks as as good as those shows may have been in their time, or or or, or get the reruns out the wazoo. No one talks about Murder She Wrote or Matlock. Or Law and Order, or or you know, sure. no one's going to talk about Chicago Med or Chicago Fire or mm-hmm. Chicago PD the way that we're talking now about Quantum Leap for sure. You know, and if they and if they do, okay, yeah. But yeah I mean, <laughs> like know, some or people, NCIS yeah, or CSI, but, but, but or some any people, of people them. like like they're not looking for high minded entertainment on sure. TV. They just want to come home at the end of the day and they just want to unwind. And there's value in those kind of TV shows. Absolutely, um, it's it's totally fine. Like yeah. everybody, you know. My yeah. and, and so yeah, and Jason Beggy, he does uh, great on Chicago PD. My yes. my one gripe is like the the episodes that I've seen. Like he is clearly a former dirty cop who now he's not above going dirty if it gets the job done. Yeah, but it's on NBC, it's on network TV, and it's only so far they can go. Yeah, so he just comes across sometimes, or not he specifically, like right. like the actor, but his character's story and and what they the story that they try to tell with him. Yeah. He comes across like a low rent Vic Mackey. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. From the shield. Yeah. Like, like they, like they want to imply how dirt, how dirty he will go. Right. But they can't really show it because it's, it's and that's why the shield will always be infinitely more watchable and more enjoyable and more memorable than Chicago PD because yeah. it'll go there, you know, for the sake of the story. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So yeah, but uh, anyway, Jason Behe. Yeah, so another thing though uh, I want to mention real quick about him is that uh, he also had a, a guest spot, or not really guest spot, recurring role on, on one of my uh, guilty pleasure television programs, uh, Californication, uh, with David okay. Duchovny. And he and David Duchovny are actually friends in real life, they went to school together when they were younger, um, 
one of their other classmates slash friends was actually John F. Kennedy Jr., which I thought was wow. very interesting. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, he plays a uh, English professor um, who was like a, a teacher at one point in time um, for David Duchovny's character slash colleague, and you know they were both writers. And uh, at this point, Peggy's character has gone completely like straight. He's just a teacher. He's you know he's he's a vegan. He's a, you know all, everything that David Duchovny's character is not. Uh, in, in Californication until, of course, Hank, who is, is the company's character, takes him out for a night on the town and basically completely destroys his sobriety and his, you know, yeah. his, his vegan lifestyle. And, uh, yeah, before you know it, they're drinking bottles of whiskey and snoring cocaine and eating steak. So, Like you know. David Duchovny does. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Another uh, interesting <clears throat> note about him is I, I saw this a few weeks ago. Apparently at one point, uh, he was a member of the Church of Scientology, mm. and when he decided to to leave the church, like he wanted to let people know, just like his experience and how bad mm-hmm. it was, and he didn't know the best way to put it out there. So he ended up like recording like a two hour thing and putting it out there on YouTube, because uh, this was just at a time like when YouTube was starting to to take off yeah. as a platform. And if I recall correctly, like shortly after he put it up, it was down. Oh man! So somehow. The Church of Scientology was able to like scrub that in some way. Uh, so Skaggs, Skaggs, yeah. <laughs> so this scene uh, I found interesting because um, if you watch the syndicated version, the rerun, there's a lot cut out of this first scene. Yeah, uh, and I remember mostly that scene because. Um, this episode as a whole uh, yeah. suffers because of syndication. Sure, cuts. yeah. Even the end of the episode honestly suffers a little bit. Okay, we'll get there. I don't remember yeah. the end. But I remember this first scene. I, I had forgotten all this thing where they make a big deal of of Skaggs first thinking that, that Jake's gun must have been jammed and that's what that's what the issue was. Yeah. But then he looks and he and he's like the and he's off. shocked like oh like like the, the safety's on. The safety's on. That's what yeah. I'm sorry. And he's sorry. like yeah yeah like like the safety's on and like that's when he like there's like this moment of realization like oh you froze. Yeah. And which it's a better transition into this next scene where where Skaggs talks about the one time that that he froze up. Yeah. Because watching it in reruns that story almost seems to come out of nowhere. Seeing this longer scene where this realization, oh, your gun was jammed, oh, no, your safety's on, you froze, it kind of, it leads up to, to Skaggs' story a little bit better. Yeah. When, when you get the full, when you get the full episode. Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree with that. And and, and speaking of that story, the I think he does a wonderful job telling the story about being in Vietnam. You know, it, it's written very well, too. Mm-hmm. Um I think that speaks to Don Belisario, certainly. I think he had more of that experience. Like, yeah. Don Belisario was military, and so he probably didn't experience this, but he right. you know, he had other people's experiences and stories to pull from. Yeah. So I feel like that's it, it comes across very authentic. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I think in 1990, and maybe because growing up when I grew up, it, it started to feel as though this is sort of like the cliched Vietnam story whenever you hear like a Vietnam story, sure. you know, on television or in the movies. It, it doesn't feel that way within the context of the episode. It didn't feel that way when I was watching the episode. But when you think about 
the films and television that played out in, you know, the mid eighties to mid nineties. And when Vietnam was used kind of as a touchstone, sure. as a, sort of a generational thing, this is sort of a story that you would hear, not even film television, but plays as well. There are a number of plays where literally there are, you know, there's this story almost. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, whether it's platoon or, or China beach or something like that, there's, there's that moment where a soldier's confronted with the crying baby or that, you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it, it get, it's odd to say, but it's, it, it's been played out, uh, For I, sure. I think in some ways. Um, but that in no way diminishes the, the, and I think played out might be the wrong way to put it because it's clearly something that happened. Yes. You know, for real. Like, yeah. this is actually something that happened. And I think that that's the other thing that's important to note, because um, the type of stories that we hear now, uh, after the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq, mm-hmm. rarely do they have to deal with the same kind of sort of dehumanization and savagery that, that we heard about Vietnam. And I think that that in no way diminishes, I, I, don't, I mean, it's, it's, it, you can't compare the two and I'm not trying to, but I think that it's, you know, that there are differences. There's fundamental differences between a 10 year old boy who straps a bomb on his chest and, you know, walks up to uh, a group of Marines who are on patrol and a group of Marines who walk into a village and find themselves confronted with, you know, babies and, 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 you know, young women, um, and have orders to, so, mm-hmm. I, you know, but it's, but it's worth noting and it's worth, it's worth saying because I think that in a way we have been desensitized to, this sort of thing. And, and to, so to hear Skagg's story is, is important. And I think the context in which we get it within the episode is important. And I think that again, it kind of drives home the idea that for Belisario, one of the things that he was exploring through the series is the way that, you know, his generation and, and, you know, Al's generation, um, to, to a lesser degree, Sam's generation is, is dealing with the way that, time has changed them, you know, and in particular the decades of the sixties, the seventies and the eighties, like what did these three decades do to us? Mm. And did we, you know, did we ever live up to the potential that we were supposed to, um, or that was thrust upon us by being, you know, the children of, of the greatest generation. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that's something that the show does explore from time to time. And sometimes it does it in a very serious way. Sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, I think that this episode in particular, uh, it's important to look at it again in the context of, 1969 when it takes place, 1990 when it aired, and 2018 when we're talking about it now, and I, I think that it's a very, very important uh, episode within the context of the show mm-hmm. as a whole, and that this story that Skaggs tells is indicative of that. Yeah. And also, it sets up the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why, ultimately, that's why it works, because not only is it is it thematically, you know, mm-hmm. important... And emotionally and and spiritually important, mm-hmm. but it's also good for the plot. Yes. So, <laughs> but 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 yeah, but it also I mean like we're we we don't see much of Skaggs throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah. Uh, so it, it kind of sets up where where the episode is going, and uh, so but like the thing is like to to all of that being said, like the the basic the essence of the story is 
He walked in to this village, saw a baby. He froze. He could sense people walking up behind him, but still, he froze up. And then uh, a platoon mate was able to, to save him. Yeah. Um, and he makes a comment that, you know, you, you get to freeze up once in your career, but not twice. Yeah. And they get in the car, and Sam asks him what happened to the baby. And Skaggs deflects that question. He says, don't leave your tissues in the car, because Sam is wiping off makeup with yeah. tissues. Don't leave the tissues in the car, or Lisa will think I got a honey. Yeah. And they just leave it at that. And that's that. Uh, speaking of Lisa, remind me to come back to that at, yeah. the, at the end of the episode for, for, for potential sure. spoilers for future episodes. Uh and so yeah, now we get to the to the police locker room, which is clearly the same locker room from All Americans. Oh just, yeah, just redressed to be uh, just redressed to be the at the police station. Right, right. All all the fellow officers are catcalling. Oh, and yeah, and, and this is another great. And this is a scene that's cut out with the reruns. Is when Sam opens his locker. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's filled with you know, with women's clothing and lingerie. And not it's just lingerie, mind you, but some of the dirtiest stuff that she, you, I mean, you yes. can, like... Victoria, yeah. <laughs> uh, this isn't even Victoria's Secret. This is like... Pleasure chest, yeah, yeah whatever, whatever adult story you're going to. And I, I think we, we, we see that in the syndicated version. What we don't see is, is Sam playing along. We get some playful Sam. We don't get yeah. a lot of playful Sam. I took a note of that. Yeah, him having fun with it is really, really good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice because at this point, you know, Al is there. And Al is, you know, is kind of talking to him, helping him find his locker and, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. And there's a, apparently there's a, there's a cut bit here. But, oh, two things. So, one, apparently there's a cut bit here that has to do with uh, Sam needing the combination on the lock, sure. which he doesn't actually need here. And then the other thing um, is that the tape uh, for his name, his name's been taped on because he's the new guy. Yeah. The thing that's kind of interesting about that is that it ties into the story that Skaggs just told about Vietnam and about being confronted with the baby because he uses the term FNG, mm-hmm. um, which means fucking new guy. It's a, it's it's an acronym slang term for that. Okay. Um, and it dates back to, you know, hell, it's probably a World War II or, or before term. Yeah. But it was used a lot in Vietnam. It still gets used to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, that if, you know, if you're new in the unit or whatever, you're an FNG. G, you're a yeah. fucking new guy. Um and at this point, that's what Rollins is yeah, in terms of he just got he just got it, so he's got the tape on the locker, uh, which I think is is kind of nice uh, storytelling there. But yeah, he does. He's having he's having fun with the lingerie, which I think is great. He's yeah. putting on a show. He's mentioning names. He even yeah. mentioned Tina. See, the thing is, like, I think this is the first time in a few episodes we get a Tina mentioned. I think you're right. I yeah. feel like she was. I mean, she was mentioned a lot in the first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time I remember her being mentioned was back in Americanization of Machiko. Uh, where they're talking about, uh, I was talking about taking her to Vegas. Out. Yeah, Bell's talking about taking her to Vegas. Or <laughs> yeah. something. I think the last time we've heard her. Uh, so we have a fun. So we have a fun bit uh, with that. Al's coaching him through how to get undressed. Um, yeah, he's wearing his his, his panty garter. Backwards, backwards and unzip the brassiere. Which has a great little, uh, there's this great bit too where Sam's just sort of like, why are you criticizing me? I didn't well, like, put it I, on. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, but it's backwards. Yeah. It's like, but I didn't do it. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I wasn't here for this. <laughs> it is, it's a really, it's a really it's nice a fun, moment yeah. to play between the two of them. And I think that there's something about the way that the two of them are written, specifically their relationship throughout this whole episode. Sure. That ends up becoming 
you know, we, we've seen really nice moments between the two of them throughout the entire series so far, but this episode, I think, cements everything that we suspected or wanted to think about that relationship, um, and yeah. it's, it, it's quite beautiful. There's two yeah. moments in particular. We'll get there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a playful little bit, and while uh, Al is giving information on Jake, um, he's new to the unit and, and all the heroics that he had done, you know, back before, yeah. back before he... Join the unit. A funny tidbit is like Jake is not actually short for anything. He is just, just Jake. He's just Jake, which Al gets a kick out of. Yeah, which is funny, yeah. <laughs> and um, so yeah, then they touch on it's it, it's April Fool's Day, nineteen sixty nine, and Sam uh, makes a comment like, "Yeah, yeah, leave it just up to him," referring to God like a leap that's one April Fool's Day joke. And at this point, Al has clearly become distracted by something. Yeah, his demeanor um, has changed. Yeah, he clearly something springs to mind. He starts punching in things on the hand link, and then we get Sam's mission. Sam's mission, yeah. Which he's there to meet a woman named Beth and prevent her from making the mistake of her, her life. lifetime. Yeah. Yes, um, because her husband is currently a POW, and he has been for two years. His mm-hmm. A four was shot down, and um, she is going to have him declared dead and remarry um, in spite of the fact that her husband's going to come home in 1973. Yeah. So can we just call out the elephant in the room and just say, it's Al. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, one, if, if you're listening to this episode, you've probably seen the episode. Right. And two, uh, like, I, I, I don't have fresh memories of seeing this episode for the first time and whether or not I was shocked by it, but I feel... I feel like it's so heavily telegraphed to the audience. I don't think it's ever meant to be a surprise to the viewer when it turns out to be Al. Because the way he starts acting from the get-go, and, and, and just clearly by the, by the next time we see him in this episode, he looks rough. I, I, I don't... I, I think you would have to not be paying close attention to not pick up right away that 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 Al is the POW. I mean I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna I'm not going to completely argue that. Yeah. But what I will say is that he does a very convincing job of you know kind of making an excuse as to why he's acting that way um, later in the episode. I think that the thing that that truly spoils it is not anything that Al does. It's actually the picture. Because when that picture gets put up on the mantle, even though it's far away, like... You think, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, you might not know for sure, but you can kind of tell. That said, I don't know. I mean, I... I don't have, I, 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 unfortunately, I don't have a crystal clear memory of watching this episode for the first time, but I do feel as though, I do feel as though, I mean, again, I was like nine years old. Sure. I, I do feel as though it came same, as a yeah. bit of a surprise to me. And the other thing, the other thing that I would say is that, um, a testament to the quality and the strength of the episode, Dean Stockwell's performance, Scott Bakula's performance, um, is that it doesn't matter. No, yeah. no. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't spoil anything. And, and speaking to that point, uh, Betsy, my wife, she watched this with me 
last night. Never seen this episode before. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of this moment, she turned to me and she goes, it's Al, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at this point, we know that Al's been a POW before. Yeah. Like, he's, he's already mentioned it. So, I mean, I think the thing is, is again, to the, you know, again, to the observant viewer, you, you might, you'd probably be able to put two and two together. Yeah. Um, and, and again, within the context of the episode, you'd probably, you know, be able to do it as well. Yeah. So, uh, as we get this, uh, Al's voiceover, it bleeds into the next scene where we meet Beth. Beth. And I'm going I'm to go ahead and call this out because there are several instances of it in, in this episode. And this is just the thing, like, we talk about how the rules constantly shift from episode to episode. And just the rules for this particular episode is somehow Ziggy has a lot of data on things you shouldn't have, like, data about. Because there's not, like, news stories, but, like, exactly where Beth is at yeah. and how she met this new guy and where she is at, at this one particular moment. Right. These certainly wouldn't be Al's uh, details that Al would know unless he did a heavy case of detective work when he got back. I mean, the thing is, that here's, here's the thing about this episode, um, and, and it's another one of those things about what we don't get. Um, there is little doubt in my mind, and I, I don't recall if it's touched on in Pulitzer at all, uh, but at some point in time, Al would have had to have seen Beth again. Like, I don't buy for one second that he just gets back, you know, lands at the airport, gets taken to the, you know, the hospital, you know, does his whole psychological stuff, gets out, becomes an astronaut, goes on to Project Starbright, meets Sam, they make Quantum Leap. I don't buy for a second that at some point within that time when he first gets back, he especially when the, no- when the news is, in, you know, gets broken to him, that she had him declared dead and remarried. Sure. Like, he, there had to have been some contact between the two of them. Hmm. Had to have been. I just don't buy for... Now, I take it back. Maybe he didn't see her, but there had to have been some contact, whether it was a letter or a phone call or something. I just don't buy for a second that she wouldn't have contacted him or that he wouldn't have contacted her. I've thought about that before. And it's interesting. Because you would also have to assume, uh, like I don't know, like when when POWs like came home back during that time, like how is it how is it announced on the news? Is is it something like she would have learned like just by watching the the news or reading a newspaper, and just and just seeing her, uh, you know, her her husband's picture on you know on, on TV or or in print? Well, it would be interesting, is- like like how she would have gotten. The news. The other thing is, too, is she's in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's not just a civilian waiting for her husband to get home. She's actually in the Navy as well. Mm-hmm. So somebody along the way would have been like, you know... Yeah. They would have told her. Yeah. And it's... Uh, Pulitzer deals with this story, but it's been over 20 years since I've read that book. Yeah. And I don't know if they address that. Yeah. At I don't all. know either. Um... I, it would it, yes it is it is just one of those things that I, I feel like whatever contact they would have had would have been extremely limited that you know once once it was cemented in Al's brain that you know that everything was over I'm sure that he would have just completely gone out started fresh 
lived it up in the 70s, had his little man bag, sure. you know, <laughs> yeah. hoarded up. Like, I mean, like, he yeah. would have absolutely got out there and just been Al, as we know him after mm-hmm. that, probably, and this was the impetus for that. But it is, it, it, it is interesting to think about what type, you know, what type of contact was there? How was it? You know, again, I, I, I retract what I said about the meeting face-to-face. I don't necessarily think it would have been that, but there had to have been something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. You know? Because she's going to find out mm-hmm. that he's back. Yeah. He's going to find out that she's moved on. Yeah. Well, he's been declared dead. Exactly. Yeah. So, for all the hypotheticals, let's get back to the episode here. So, we meet Beth. She has a flat tire. And all that to say, what I wanted to... Well, sorry, the point I was trying sure. to make there is is that I don't I don't have a hard time believing that Al would know these details. Mm-hmm. Because I have a feeling that Al would have, if given the opportunity, would have been like... How did this happen? Ah, and I have a feeling okay. that Beth driven that by guilt would have said, it was April 1st, 1969. I got uh, a tire. Okay. He helped me out. He was there for me. I'm sorry. I have to go. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Like, I yeah. have a feeling that some of these details would, would, would have come out in that conversation. That was the point I was trying to make. That is an excellent point. And I realized, like, as I was thinking about this episode weeks ago, mm-hmm. it sprang to mind, and now I, I just forgot about it. But yes, I could totally see that happen. Have you seen the movie Castaway? No, actually, I haven't. It is. I got some gaps, man. <laughs> yeah. So there's this great scene at the end of the movie. Like, Tom Hanks is on an island for four years. He's declared dead. Uh, him and Helen Hunt, I think they were about to be married mm-hmm. uh, when he disappeared. And when he comes back, she has, she has remarried. Yeah. And so there's this great scene where he, he goes over to her place, and I, it's been years since I've seen the movie, but basically he talks her into leaving with him. And so it is pouring down rain. They get in the car. They start to drive away. And like we're watching it like as the car like driving down the street as rain is pouring down. And they get maybe down like uh, half a block. They yeah. get in like a few hundred feet. And then the brake lights come on, and the car stops, and it cuts the inside of the car. And she says to him, she's like, you know we can't do this. And it's just like this moment of, like, they knew from the start. Totally. That they couldn't do this. Yeah. This was just them playing out as much as a little fantasy as they could. Right. Before they both accept that they they can't be together. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes you wonder if maybe there was, yeah. Yeah, if there was anything like that. I don't know. It, it, it is interesting, and, and I think that it's it's all left to fan wank now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But so, so she's got the flat tire, mm-hmm. um, and she's crying. She's, yeah. she's clearly very upset. Um, Susan Dial is the actress that plays Beth, um, and, and I think she does a wonderful job throughout the episode. Uh, then we get introduced to... Uh, Attorney Law. Dirk. Dirk Simon. Man, that is such a great attorney name. I fucking hate him. Yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> So he so he, he pulls up and, and she she's crying and she's like, yeah. You can't be upset that upset over tire and she's like, It's a lot of things, the tire was just a straw. Yep. He has the skeezy or charming line, whatever you throw, you know, whatever you want to assign it. He says, like, I can't do much about everything else, but I can fix the straw. Yeah. He's, he's, the thing is... Yeah. It's not... I'm not going to put the blame 
on Don Belisario for this one, because the dialogue is not inherently bad. It's just that Norman Large delivers it in such a creep-tastic way that I can't help but think, why the fuck would she ever get with this guy? Uh, no, he's terrible. He's terrible. No, he's I terrible. I, I, I don't know if it's... He's terrible. I don't know if it's creep... <laughs> it may, okay, maybe it's a little creep-tastic, but also there are lines in the episode that makes me think that Beth just kind of expects that from men. Because there's a line later in the episode where, where Sam comes back and and he admits, like, basically, I saw you, he got there first, I was breaking it up, and so basically she, she throws out the line, so yesterday was nothing more than an attempted pickup. And then Sam says yes, but then they, he called it off after he saw the wedding ring and the MIA bracelet. And she throws out the line, so you have a code when it comes to picking up women. Yeah. So it kind of makes me think, like, and you got to think, like, when she first met Al, Al probably laid it on pretty thick. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing so, is, is is that they would have met when Al was was young, when she was young. Yeah. Because they've been married six years, seven eight years? Eight years. Eight years, eight years. Yeah. Uh, right, it was six years before he before he left. Yeah. Um, he would have... So I have a feeling that, that maybe she just kind of expects that from men. Maybe. I don't know. So I don't think... He's still a creep. I I don't think he comes across that creepy. I feel like like he somehow is able to, in the first scene, Mm -hmm. I'll admit that a little bit less so later on in the episode, but in the first scene, he comes across as the improbable combination of a complete dial tone and a creep at the same time. Like, he just seems to me like the most boring, bland creep on the face of the planet. And then, like, he has that line about how, like, you know, he's sad, it's too bad that she's married or something like that. And the way, it's just sort of like, yeah, and, and yeah. you're awful. Yeah. You're an awful person. Sure. You're an awful person who has no problem moving in on this grieving woman whose husband is MIA yeah. in Vietnam. Well, at the time, you're a creep. He, he, doesn't know, he doesn't know that. All he knows is that, that she's married. Yeah, but even after she, even after he finds out, he's still he's still like figuring out like how do I get with her as opposed to oh man, like she actually needs she needs help. Like she needs help and not like she doesn't need to see a therapist, maybe she does. Sure. But, but she needs she needs somebody who's going to keep a healthy distance and let her go through this. Not somebody who's going to move in on her as, you know, like practically salivating in every scene that he sees her. Fair enough. I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, so we cut to this scene. So he's fixing uh, the yeah. tire. Yeah. So he's fixing the tire, and then uh, uh, Skaggs and Sam are making their way. But, oh, a sweet car that they're riding in, by the yeah, way. Yeah, right. And so Sam is trying to explain to, to Skaggs yeah. like how... How Which, he knows this. It's great because he, there's no pretense here whatsoever. It's just like, this is what we're going to do. This is who she is. This is what's happening right now. And Skaggs is just like, how the hell do you know all sure, this? Like, yeah. what, where is all this coming from? Yeah, absolutely. And so where Skaggs is like, I don't know. And like Sam's like, yeah, no, here, yeah. here we go. And so they pull up. Sam comes rushing up. Sam comes rushing. He up. leaps over the hood. He leaps the over the hood. Yeah, and 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 Skag sinks quickly. Like, sir, can I speak to you for a minute? 
and pulls him over. Yeah, flashes the badge. Flashes the badge. Yeah, so Sam jumps in to, to fix the tire. So Beth is questioning, like, why are you questioning him? What's going on? And so we have we have the scene play out where Skaggs asks Dirk, like, how long have you known the suspect? The suspect, yeah. Yeah. So they each think that the, the other, other is being... Inti- yeah. And then uh, as he's driving off, he stops, pulls out his car. Ah! Ah! Yeah? Whatever you did, if you needed a lawyer, here's my card. It's like when Al calls him an ambulance chaser later, I'm like, yeah, he really is. Only in this case, he's the... Weeping widow chaser. Ah, uh, he grosses me out. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And and so Beth starts saying like like well like what's going on like you you made me think that you were questioning him but yeah. it was the other way around, you know. And Sam says I'm sorry I can't explain it and and leaves and and, and Beth is left in the same way we found her at the start of the scene. Uh, she has she has a fixed tire, but she's emotionally she's just, just wrecked of just like I don't know what the hell is. It's because Almond leave her eventually. Apparently, the, uh, <laughs> there's a couple yeah. of other things worth noting here. Is that um, when Dirk introduces himself as Dirk Simon, Beth responds with Beth Calavici. Yep, uh, this is indeed the first time, uh, unbeknownst, I put that in air quotes to the viewer that we hear Al's last name mm-hmm. within the context of the show, um, which I had actually forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's that. Yeah. Um, we, we now know Al's last name, although we don't necessarily, or we're not meant to know that it is Al's last name sure. yet. Um, the other thing that's really interesting and, and Scott Bakula, I mean, I don't think we can say enough about how great Dean Stockwell is in this episode. And we'll certainly mm-hmm. talk more about that later, but there's no doubt that, you know, Scott's at the top of his game in sure. this episode as well. And and is just doing some really, really wonderful work because he can tell something's off about all of this. Yeah. And, you, you know, it's it, it, he doesn't feel comfortable with any of it either. He's very... I don't know. It's, it, it just... It, there's something not quite right. Yeah. And, 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 and it's neat to see because whether or not you're watching this episode for the first time and you're getting that vibe and you don't know what that not quite right thing is, or if, you know, like you were saying, you're watching it for the first time and you know right away, whatever the case may be, or you've seen it 20 times like you and I have and we're watching it again, it's just really, really played very well the way that he's not feeling entirely comfortable with the situation that he's in and not in the fish out of water. I've leapt into a situation. I don't understand anything about yeah. but as in a human being who feels like something's not quite right. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the, probably the first time where Sam leaps into the vicinity of the people he's supposed to be helping. And now Al shows up and says, no, the person you need to help, you have to go way out of your way to go meet that person. Right, right. Uh, An interesting, a nice touch in this scene that I'd never noticed before, and uh, this happens like when Sam is down changing the tire, there's a close-up of Scott Bakula's face. He has a remnant of makeup left around his eye. (laughs) That's awesome. That's, because you gotta feel, they probably film this on totally separate days. Yeah. That that was like a nice little touch thrown in. Right. Uh, And there's the line in there, uh, when Skaggs is talking to, to Dirk about, you know, what happened, and Dirk said, I saw she had a flat tire, I pulled over, and Skaggs has a line, would you have offered if she was 50 and fat? Yeah. Oh, oh Skaggs. That's a nice, kind of calling him out. Yeah, right? Kind of calling him out a little bit. And, and so then we cut to, uh, I, I just put uh, the hippie place. Oh, God. They're, they're, they're like the hippie, 
the like the hippie commune there to in the park yeah yeah it, it, yeah it, you know it's it's also interesting because um I think anyone who knows the rights issues that have surrounded the music, which, by the way, this episode has an incredible soundtrack overall. Mm-hmm. We've already just heard, heard it through the grapevine. grapevine. Yeah. yeah, we're going to get sitting on the dock of the bay in a minute. We're gonna, yeah. you know, there's lots of great songs in this in this episode, uh, and a couple of them which are completely iconic and integral to the episode. Um, but for whatever reason. This is not a rights issue. This is how it originally aired. We get this weird Muzak rip-off kind of copy version of Aquarius when they're in the park. Interesting, okay. And it's like, that was never Aquarius. That was never, like, this isn't a music rights thing. That was just what they used. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of weird because it's like, we get all these other classic songs, but you didn't just throw Aquarius in there amidst all these other classics that you're you're playing, which clearly that's what it's supposed to be. It makes sense because you got all these... You know, all the hippies dancing and, you know, smoking weed and hanging out. Yeah. You got the guru over in the corner. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I just thought you that know, was and that is the thing. There's, uh, I don't know if I caught it on this one, but there's a, there's a scene later on in the episode where something sounds very Muzak. Yeah. Um, and now especially, like, the music replacement issues that the DVDs had. Right. Now, like, watching it on Blu-ray, when something comes out that it, it, it's clearly, like, it's it's not, like, soundtrack music that the... You know, like the whatever the, like the orchestra is doing yeah. to supplement when it's clearly just like oh we couldn't find an appropriate piece of period music for this scene so we're just using something music here yeah those jump out at me yeah what song is it later on though you're right there is another instance of it in this episode but this time it's the it's the song yeah it's just an instrumental version that is clearly done by you know the I house band thing. if you will yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I can't remember, I can't remember what yeah, later yeah, on yeah, yeah. Oh, well um so yeah, so we get the uh, like the visual gag of, of, of Sam dressed meditating, yeah, yeah. like a guru meditating, yeah, and uh, and Skaggs is is dressed up like a hippie as well, yeah. So um, so Sam's like, can I move, move my legs? And Skaggs is like, you know, like you know, the gurus used to sit on bed and nails, blah blah blah, right? Yeah, and it's you know that's the thing that this episode also does very very well because as heavy as things are going to get in this episode, there's some really nice moments of levity. Um, and, you know, Al provides some of that, Skaggs provides some of that, even Beth provides some of that at at points, which I think is great. Um, you know, they're there for a a drug deal. He thinks that he, you know, he sees the the dealer that he's got to go make the connection with or whatever, and Sam's just got to sit there. And Al shows up. Mm Mm-hmm. And... And it's like, because we, we get the hippies, like, Sam is doing, like, this home. Oh, yeah. And these hippies and catch on. Like, and they walk out. Give and him a flower. Yeah. And Sam looks up, like, why am I still here? And then Al, like, you're here because you didn't stop the slime ball from putting the moves. Yeah. On Beth. And, and you know, Sam's like, you know, like, what was I supposed to do? So Al shows up. He's wearing the same clothes that he was wearing earlier. Yep. Um, and this has got to be the next day or late. It's got to be the next day. Yeah, it's, I, I would say it's the next day. Yeah, because like there's they're they're not doing two crime busts on the same day, right? Yeah. No, no. Uh, so it's the next day. He's wearing the same clothes. He's got a little five o'clock shadow. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so so through this scene, uh, I can't remember exact the exact dialogue, but but Sam is kind of surprised that Al is so worked up, and then Al explains like I was MIA, my wife thought I was dead. Yeah, he basically, he basically tells him the truth. Yes. He just doesn't make the connection that Beth is his yes. wife. 
Yes. You know, and Sam has this great moment where he apologizes. He should have remembered. Al has this nice moment of like, the it's leap. okay, the leap switch teaches your brain. And it's just, a, I, I really, really like that specific moment there. Yeah. Um, because you could tell Sam feels really guilty about it. Again, it also serves a wonderful plot element, which is that like Sam doesn't remember any of this. So of course Sam thinks that, you know, this is okay. He doesn't realize Beth is who she is. Yeah. Um, it also gives us some wonderful character building between the two of them and their relationship about like, of course Al would have told Sam all of this. Oh God. Sam just doesn't remember it, you yeah. know, um, which is, which is really nice. And, you know, and, and Al, even in this moment of having to confront all of these feelings mm-hmm. and being so desperate to get Sam to change things is still compassionate enough to forgive his friend for forgetting all of this. Mm-hmm. And maybe, perhaps in a way, glad that he doesn't remember. <laughs> I was just thinking about that, like, you know, if you, if, you had, if you had longer, you know, if you had more, if you were to, like, have the story on the page where you could actually get inside Al's head yeah. of, like, his thought process of, like, how much does Sam remember? How do I navigate this conversation to not trip over any memory that might Right. That might stir something up. That's really interesting. Like, I don't think you could pull it off on screen. You would have to, you would have to do it like, like I said, like in a, a novel, novelization form yeah, of the story. Without a doubt. Yeah. To, but, yeah, kind of get inside Al's, Al's head. Yeah. How is he sort of navigate Trying that. to manipulate the situation. For sure. Yeah. But anyway, so meanwhile, Skaggs has, has made a, has yeah. made a fix yep. on the drug dealers. They take off. He shouts after Jake to get him. Sam, because his legs are asleep. Yeah, yeah, and we have the visual gag of him just falling, falling over. <laughs> yeah, miss and missing the woman with who's running away with the drugs, probably only by like a foot. Sure, like, she's pretty close, but he just can't because yeah. his his legs are asleep. Yeah, uh, but they do get the one guy, and uh, and it's at this point that they um, uh, after they they busted the guy, we cut to. Uh, from there, do we cut we from... Cut yeah. Beth, right? Yeah, so one thing I do want to make a note, just because like this kind of serves like as an accidental trilogy throughout. Yeah. Uh, there is a sign, like on the little stage or whatever platform that Sam is sitting on, there's a sign propped up against to it that says, Make Love, Not War. Mm, nice. And that phrase will come back... Yes, it will. ...in the next episode. Yes, so it I just will. saw the last one, I thought, oh, that... I'm sure... Entirely accidental. But I don't know, though. But it's but it's a nice little touch. Because and the reason why I say I don't know is that Belisario wrote all three episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they all three episodes ended up uh, garnering a lot of attention. I mean, Dean Stockwell's nominated for an Emmy Award based on this episode. Mm-hmm. Scott Bakula gets nominated for an Emmy Award based on Leap Home Part One, mm-hmm. and they get nominated for makeup based on the uh, prosthetics that they use on Scott Bakula sure. and Leap Home Part One. Okay, uh, Leap Home Part Two is is in my opinion probably one of the more underrated episodes because I think it gets overshadowed by these two episodes. You don't hear Leap Home Part 2 in the same conversation as you do Leap Home Part 1 and MIA. Uh, okay. Oftentimes it gets lumped in because it's like Leap Home Part 1, Leap Home Part 2. Sure. But I think Leap Home Part 2 is very underrated. We'll get there. I mean, especially <laughs> for shooting in, quote, Vietnam. Yeah. And just, like, what they were able to do production-wise to 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 pull that off, to be shooting in California and make it look like Vietnam. Right. Um, 
yeah, uh, accomplished a lot there. And I do, I think the Leap Home Part 1 was actually, it was nominated and won some, some award. I don't know if it was an Emmy, but it won an award for cinematography just for what they accomplished with uh, Scott Bakula playing both Sam yes. and his dad. It, I, I, I think it did win for... I can't remember. It won for something. You're absolutely right. But I don't know if... I can't remember if it won for makeup or if it won for cinematography. Um, Yeah. We'll find that. We'll find out. We'll talk about it next time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, So from here, we cut to uh, the the thugs hangout. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, Boner and the pusher. Boner and the pusher, yeah. So we... um, so we cut to, to them, and you have uh, Ro- Rosalita, uh, Rosalita, and and a baby, and basically the upshot of this scene is they have a lead on the narc who busted them. Scabs. Scabs. It, it is worth <laughs> noting. Was it uh, was it Pusher? I think he yeah. was shot in the first scene. So yes. he, he's got a serious bone to pick because there's this. There's this whole interplay of like I'm shot, I got a right to be seen first, right, blah, right. blah 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 blah. I'm bleeding out, I'm bleeding out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this is setting up like they they have a lead on this guy called Scabs, and we forgot a very important piece of the puzzle when we were talking about Al giving information to Sam. Okay. She's a nurse at Balboa Naval Hospital. That's and she just a lost a, point. And she just lost a patient. Yes. And yeah. so she'd been she'd been working on the burn ward, um, and that Al makes the supposition that because the patient died just the day before, that this is the thing that is the impetus for her to lose hope that Al is coming home and ha- and ends up you know declaring him dead because. Why should she think that her husband's coming home? MIA is just another word for, you know, being dead. Sure. So that's important. Sorry to interrupt. It it just popped in my head. No, no, no. That is important. And I think that plays a lot into, again, this is one of those details. How does Al know this? And now you bringing up the point, what if there was a phone call? Yeah. Not not an in-person meeting or not a phone call, a letter where Beth just she just spills out like this is yeah this is what led all this to happen like this is what happened. I lost a patient I was in a mess he fixed my flat tire we started talking you know whatever yeah I, I agree I agree and and so you know Al has this hope that if, if Sam can make her remember all the things that she used to love about Al favorite flowers favorite movie songs etc all that sort of stuff uh, that it'll kind of do the do the trick um, but anyway yeah so the, the hippies ah uh, the hippies so, so there's they try to feed tequila to a baby. She comes in. She's pissed off at them for doing so. She yeah. leaves him a bag. Pusher grabs the gun. He wants revenge on Scabs. Scabs. As, yeah. Uh, they have this very weird, creepy moment where he points the gun at the guy, dry fires it, and then like they start laughing at one another. That's it's like, right. And it goes yeah. on for a little too long. Yeah. <laughs> They, they, yeah, they pull off a lot. Like they, they don't have a whole lot to do in this episode. But yeah, I, I forgot about that because I was taking notes on another thing. But yeah, that, yeah. But the scene where like yeah, he, he points a gun and dry fires, and just like the look on the guy's face when he thinks he's about to get shot. Yeah. Ah. And then click, and then <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um. 
And then this is when we see Beth watching the sunset, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. 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 And Beth smokes. Hmm? Beth smokes. She, yeah. <laughs> Beth, she does. Oh, which Everybody is actually, smoked back in it. Well, this is actually funny because one of the things that happens in the very beginning of the episode is that Sam's got a cigarette in his mouth, but he spits it out and he's like, <laughs> Yeah, sure, yeah. Which reinforces that whole, you know, Sam hates smoking. Smoking, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, she's out there watching and a woman pops up and basically she's waiting for her, her son to get back in. Can you, can you see sailing. the, my eyes are failing me, can you see the light blue swoop with the red and blue and white the sail or whatever she says? Oh, yeah. yes, yeah. okay. What a beautiful sloop that is. Yes, yeah. Uh, so the she upshot is, yeah. MIA bracelet. Yes, yeah, is this for someone you know? my husband unfortunately and the woman gets ready to take off um, and then she's like this is presumptuous but would you like to join us for dinner yeah and in this conversation she throws out the name Dirk Beth puts it together yeah and it turns out they have they have met before which you know it is something that Sam will say soon enough but I think the viewer's mind if you're watching right now you're probably starting to think like man you know maybe God time fader whoever wants these two people to to get together. Mm-hmm. Um, it because it, it you know it, it, it and there's another instance of coincidence if you will that 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 can lead us to believe that later. But um, but Sam has arrived sure. in the meantime and he's got flowers. Yes, yes, Calavici's right. Deborah Pratt's favorite flower. Uh, also Beth Calavici's favorite flower. Uh, but of course initially she says I hate Calavici's. Yeah. And Sam is sort of like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And and then, of course, she's, you know, no, I, I actually love Calla Lilies. Um, but you knew that. How did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's, yeah, she wants to know, like, why he's following her. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's when Sam's like, if, if you go to dinner with me, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. Um, and then that's when we've got the scene where Sam's, like, all excited because for under two bucks, he gets a couple of beers and tacos. And he's like, it's like, that's your cheap date, you know, or, or whatever. And she's like, was that what I am? And he's like, no, it's just, where else can you go and get, you know, tacos and two beers for under two bucks? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Nice. Um, oh, right. And then this is when he, yeah, admits that he's, he was going to pick her up, but then found out that she was married, which is exactly what Dirk should have done. <sighs> but instead, you know, Sam is like, yeah, that's why, that's why I, I left yeah, and it, was, and it was weird and, and everything. Um, and at this point, we get a very rare occurrence at this point in the show, which is Al alone. Yeah. And, and this is one of those things, like, from this scene, you gotta know. Mm-hmm. You gotta know that it's Al. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, because he looks rough. Like, he is, I mean, we're beyond, like, 5 o'clock shadow now. We've never seen Al like this yeah. before. Well, and, and, and he's, yeah, he, and, he's, and he's walking around, and he's taking in the house, and it's, and it's clearly, it's, it's not just, like, an observational thing. No. Yeah. And as soon as he hears steps coming up and the door opening, he, he runs off into the corner, boop, 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 popping out. Him and Sam briefly see one another. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's definitely, I, I, again, like you said, I, I don't know that anyone watching is, is, is going to go through the whole episode up until the, you know, the moment that it comes out between Sam and Al, and it's like, 
wow, you know, or, or until Sam sees the picture, rather, um, and be blown away by it. I think that there's plenty of hints along the way, but y- y- this is this is probably, you know, the first big one um, of, like, this is Al's home. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, I've always wondered, like, was this ever, like, Al's home where, where he lived? Like, given, like, yeah. whatever their circumstances was, because there's uh, there's a scene later on where he had done one tour. Right. And he decided to go back on to a second tour. Like, I never know, like, like he's, like, walking around, like, like the house, or just, like, taking her in. Like, the like their belongings and everything. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. I, I, I've gone back and forth on that myself. I, I think in this viewing, I chose to to see it as, as his as their home together, mm-hmm. um, which made the scene, I think, a little bit more difficult. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, as opposed to it being the house where she lives while he's, you know, gone, gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I would, I would say that if, if this was a house that she would not have left the house that they had together. True. Until yeah, she had him declared dead. And you know, you know what it, I mean? Yeah, it's just, it's a stronger story. Yeah, if that's their house, right? Too. Yeah. So anyway, so they walk in, and she's in the middle of telling a story, and basically the I won't try to recreate the the, the story that she tells, but basically she's telling the story of the of the patient that she lost. Yes. And. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she breaks down crying in Sam's arms, and then we cut to a shot. Outside of Al, looking, looking at the in, house, yeah, yeah, looking at the house from outside. Ah, this is the moment we were watching the episode last night of uh, of just him walking around the house. Betsy was like, "Oh, Al, yeah," like her heart was breaking for him, yeah, at this point. But also, I should mention that earlier in the episode, she was pissed at Al for going rogue, as she called it, yeah, for trying to manipulate Sam into changing history and not being honest with him. Sure. About, about changing history. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's absolutely valid. I think that, you know, the stakes being what they are for Al, uh, it makes sense that he would do that. I think the other thing that's really great about what that does, just dramatically, is it creates conflict between our two lead characters, and that's not something that we've really seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like now when you think about it, it's it's not overt, and I would certainly think that it, it's actually more overt in the next episode than it is in this episode. But the conflict that exists between Al and Sam within this episode is is interesting, mm-hmm. um, and it's done more it's done more emotionally than any kind of you know out and out protagonist antagonist sort of way. Uh, but it's 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 great and it's different because it's not something that we often get. Usually, you know. Al is there to help Sam. Yeah. Now, in this case, Al wants Sam to help him, and yet in doing so, it puts them in conflict because it's against the rules, and Al knows it's against the rules. Sure. So. And also, speaking of against the rules, like, this is something we haven't talked about. And again, they're not doing this because it's just a conflict that we can't have, and, you know, in, like, you know, 43 minutes of television. But, like, from Starcrossed... Mm-hmm. Like, we kind of got this idea, like, the project is on this kind of stuff. Ziggy is on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I can't remember where specifically, if it was in, a, in one of the, the TV episodes or somewhere in the novel. It's one of the novels, I think, where Ziggy realizes 
how close Sam is to changing a major piece of history and Ziggy in his her own way hmm. loses his her shit yeah. over the fact that there is something that Sam might do that could change the fate of the project. I think it's in one of the novels actually. I think it's too close for comfort because it's because the thing that makes it uh yes. interesting is that it's so it's 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 not like it's not like he's back in the fifties and he's about to change the course of history. It's like he's basically parallel to the project and he's about to do something that's going to affect the project or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, um, yes. Thank you for remembering that. But, yeah, yeah. So I think that was actually the first one of the novels I ever read. They read. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's not a bad introduction. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Uh, so anyway, so the upshot of that is like. What we find out in the next thing, which we're back in the the police station, and they're getting ready to go out for another drug bust, and there's a there's a little interplay with him and Skaggs about his garbage man. Oh yeah, because yeah. it doesn't fit. Yeah, his jumpsuit <laughs> outfit not working, and so he's like like hunching over to to meet the thing. Yeah, and and you know he points out that yeah, Skaggs, your outfit fits. It's like yeah, I'm a supervisor. I gotta right. Yeah, I gotta set a standard here. Yeah, and so this is where where Al shows up. And, like, did you get that record of Ray Charles, Georgia on My Mind? That's her favorite song. Yeah. And uh, this is just a really great scene, because we've we got, we got a lot of great dialogue in this scene, of, um, uh, of, uh, lost my train of thought here. Sorry. I'm doing two things at once here. Yeah. Well, it's, no, I, that's okay. I, we can keep going, because I think that the thing that's so interesting about this is that, um, Sam actually at this point brings up the fact that he is starting to doubt whether or not he, this is the reason why he's there. Yeah. And, and and I think Al is, you know, trying to bring up all these reasons. And he is very emotional and he's very upset. And, and it brings him to the point to describe with some detail his experience as a POW. Mm-hmm. You know, being in a cage that was, you know, too short to stand up in, but too narrow for me to lie down in, and, you know, living off of infested rice and rainwater, and, you know, just using this as ammunition to mm-hmm. get what he wants from Sam, even though at sure. this point in the episode, Sam is starting to have his own doubts. Doubts, about like, yeah. whether or not he's there, bringing up the whole thing of, like, Dirk's mom was there, invited them to dinner. Yeah, like, like, yeah, it, come it on, just like, seems so like... Much of this is looking like maybe they're supposed to be together. Yeah, and and I was just like, no. And that's when Al points out, like, yeah, if you're just thinking of God, but you're forgetting about him, and he yeah. points out, we get this interesting line of, like, of... of Sam's like, I don't believe in the devil. I, I don't believe in the devil, and, like, all of everything you just said, like, yeah, well, maybe you would if, if all of this had... Yeah, and then Al even has that line where it's like, I know... I know the devil. You know, I know hell. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which is hard to argue. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, there's, there are, there are few more horrific things I think than than being held in captivity like that. Yeah. Um, you know, even even the, the the research that I've done on it for a role that I had, um, where I played, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a man who was being held hostage. Um, this play called Two Rooms, uh, written by Lee Blessing, and okay. um, the uh, one of the characters has been taken hostage, and um, in in the Middle East, and his wife back home is struggling to um, deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 basically dealing with the idea of. Is he alive? Is he dead? Do I declare him dead? Do I move on? Do I not move on? Um, and this reporter is, is kind of trying to help her 
um, you know, deal with all of these things. And, and uh, at some points, the sort of the line with reality gets blurred and they exist in the same space mm-hmm. at the same time, but they can't, you know, they don't acknowledge one another. Yeah. Um, so the two rooms kind of become one room. Yeah. Um, but in, in playing the character who's held hostage, uh, I read a couple of books. And the thing is, is that, you know, this is a little bit different. These are civilians who are, you know, abducted and, and, you know, then held hostage. And of course in the end, you know, he's, he's shot and killed. So you don't, um, the two of them don't get that chance to, to be reunited or whatever. But, um, you know, just reading about what people in those experiences, you know, go through, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the things that they, that they have to kind of attach themselves to in order to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I can't imagine many more things that would be worse than that. Yeah. You know, especially the, the description that that also is like in a cage that's too Too short to stand up. Yeah. Too short to stand up and too narrow for you to sit down in. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the one yeah, right. Out of all that, right. But yeah, yeah. It's it, 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 yeah. I, I I think you know. I wonder sometimes, and perhaps for I know we have listeners that are that are older than we are. Um, but uh, for anyone who's younger than we are, um, you know, I do wonder sometimes how much distance we now have to to Vietnam specifically. Not for that sure. there haven't been you know prisoners of war. But since yeah. then, but but you know how 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 that lands on a younger audience. Yeah, you know I'm gonna. We haven't had a political commentary in this episode yet. I'm gonna maybe yeah, this is a roundabout way to bringing it around. Uh, but yeah, at the point that we're recording this, it seems very likely that John McCain is in his yes. final days. Yes, he was a. POW in mm-hmm. Vietnam for a number of years, and I fundamentally disagree with him on almost everything yeah. from a political standpoint. Sure, sure. But I have huge respect for him yes. for for his military career. Yeah. And there was a news item, it was either yesterday or this morning, I don't know if you saw it, but a White House aide was caught basically making some offhanded comment about him, saying like, oh, don't worry about him, he's going to be dead soon anyway. Mm. And... The White House is not denying that this person said this, and that's not even that. That's not even not to say what what Trump said about him. Yeah, during the uh, during the election, but just like this younger person, she's a White House aide, probably mm-hmm. younger. And I think a roundabout way of saying this is, I don't. I think we've lost respect and we've lost like sight of of what yeah POWs go through. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it is almost incomprehensible to me, and I'm sure to some of our listeners that you know we are we are approaching the you know time wise distance between Vietnam, you know, and now um, that when this episode aired, mm-hmm. um, we had from. Uh, World War Two, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's 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 I don't know. It's a very very difficult subject to wrestle with, and yeah. and for me, you know, I, I when I went to school um, 
for theater, my um, the chair of our theater department and director of most of our shows, um, his doctoral thesis was actually on Vietnam plays. Mm. He wrote like a twelve hundred page, you know, thesis on Damn. Vietnam plays, mm. um, and uh, so for him it was always something of, of great mm. importance. Um, and, and I think it, it's difficult, it's a difficult thing to reckon with. And I I think maybe one of the reasons why it's become difficult is because we've found ourselves in a situation where we're, you know, not too far removed from a conflict that bears a lot of similarities to that conflict. Mm. And we're not able to discuss that conflict, the fresher conflict, mm. with any sort of distance or, you know, maturity, quite frankly, in any kind of dialogue um, socially. And I think that it makes it even more difficult for us to do the same with something that we should have that distance on. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's too easy in some ways to compare Iraq and Afghanistan to Vietnam and yet in another way it's easy for a reason and until we can reckon with all of that and start to digest all of that and start to understand that there were plenty of mistakes made mm-hmm. um, you know it's, it's, it's how, how can we possibly discuss one without dealing with the other at this point in the American consciousness mm-hmm. um, but I think that there's there's a reason why, when this episode aired, why that was the subject of this episode. There's a reason why running concurrently with this episode was a show like China Beach. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why films like Born on the Fourth of July and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Platoon were being made around, you know, within years of this episode. Yeah. And I think it was, at, it was at a time when we were starting to recognize that there were a lot of wounds that were not only being borne by the soldiers that were there and came home, but by the society that helped mm-hmm. to generate those wounds. Yeah. And until there was some sort of reckoning with that, there was no way to move on from it. Yeah. And I don't know that we've ever fully moved on from it. Yeah. And, 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 and so I think that one of the things that Belisario was doing through Quantum Leap, throughout Quantum Leap, was trying to deal with that, specifically with the, the wound of Vietnam hmm. on the American consciousness. And I, I think that there were a lot of other things, obviously, that the show was meant to do. Sure. Entertain was one of them. But I do think that one of the reasons why the show got made was because he had something to say about that. Hmm. And, and I think it gets said enough throughout the course of the series, in one way or another, that, that you know, I would make that argument. Yeah. It would be interesting to talk to him and find out. It would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> he's, got, he's got time on his hands. He's not working on NCIS. Right. He's, not, yeah. he's not working on NCIS anymore. We won't, we won't run you off the show, no. Don. So anyway, uh, so this scene, it, it does start off with the little sight gag of a nun smoking in the oh, in the, in the police locker yeah. room. Uh, yeah. That's what I thought it was interesting. And it's in this scene where we get the one and only mirror shot. Well, no, no, second mirror shot. Right, because the first one we, we see. But that's when he's in yeah. drag, yeah. Yeah, but then, <laughs> but then, yeah, but then we, like, we get like a full shot of what Jake looks like. Yeah. Uh, regular. Great scene. And then we cut to Beth at lunch at a cafe. Eating your salad, drinking her water. water. Yeah, and runs into Dirk. Dirk is sitting there getting ready to order his food. Yep. Yeah. He's a little less creepy in this scene. 
He a is, little. Yeah. A little. He gets he gets creepier though because in the context of what happens in this scene, falls out they go back to Beth's house, mm-hmm. and then he's creep again. And Beth mentions offhandedly about how like you know when Al was going for his second tour, she almost divorced him. See, and that that, that and then Dirk's all like, "Why didn't you?" You know, yeah. it's like, no, damn see, it, Dirk. What I found interesting is like like processing that what she says. Uh, rewatching the episode last night is. Her saying that, she's saying to a man who she clearly has to know has some intentions, admitting that she almost divorced her husband when mm-hmm. he decided to go on a second tour. Mm-hmm. She's emotionally vulnerable right now because of losing the patient and everything. You, you kind of got to wonder, like, she's... She's kind of leaning into it, too. I would definitely not argue that at all. Okay. I I don't argue that that at all. I just think that the way that he decides to react to it Mm -hmm. is dirty and icky, and I don't like it. Yeah. I think there's a better way to handle that. That would probably still work out okay for him in the end. I just don't think he's a good guy. Okay. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't think he's a good guy, and that I mean, I, I, me. Yes, I mean, I, I'm also playing it through. Like, uh, I, I feel like there's there's a lot of these kind of stories where you're clearly supposed to root for one side. Yeah. They 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 play up the bad qualities of the other side to to kind of lead to kind of lead the audience, and that's why a, a, along down that way. So, like when I watch shows like this. With that in mind, I kind of put the character through a filter, mm. and I'm like, I'm being manipulated to dislike him. And what, what, so in this specific case, like, what if Dirk was actually saying things a little bit nicer? Yeah. But we are supposed to read him for his unnoble intentions. And because, and this is one of the things that's always difficult anytime, you know, you're, you're critical of something like this, because we weren't in the read-throughs. We weren't in any, you know, and, yeah. rehearsals that they did or discussions that they did. Not that there probably would have been much in the way of rehearsal or sure. TV yeah. schedule, but, you know, the decisions that were made. So so I, I, I do this with a good deal of love, obviously, in sure. my heart. But if I was going to be critical about something about this episode, then it would be what you just said. Because if I was in the actor or the director's shoes or the production team's shoes, I would have done everything I could to make Dirk very likable. I would have done everything I could to do to make Dirk Simon be the guy that anyone watching the show would want Beth to end up with. Yeah. Because then... Then it's even more heartbreaking. Yeah. As it stands, it's just sort of like, I don't like this guy, he's kind of a creep, and... Why would she want to be with him? Sure. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and I will admit that perhaps my emotional investment in Al and in this episode in general is maybe clouding my point of view a little. Um, but I don't think it's doing it enough to the point that this guy is not sure who I think he is. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so at this point, Sam shows up. And he does. Turns, like, oh, I like... One, ahead, episode, one, one thing I do want to mention is that at this point she has had the picture in her hands and she's talking about the picture and yeah. her husband and she puts it on the mantle and we get a, you know, it's, it, it's a distant shot. Mm-hmm. So it's not crystal clear, but it's clear enough that I would argue that if you're really looking at that picture, you can kind of tell it's Al. Sure. But also remember, 
we're watching this in the with the benefit. Oh right, of, of, high, of, of high right. of high definition. Standard definition. It might have been a little fuzzy. Yeah, yeah good standard, point. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, but anyway, so all that context. Yeah. So <laughs> Sam shows up. So apparently he's left work. Yes, um, he called. He took a sick day. He, he took, he, yeah, he, he took a sick day. He's like, I took. Sick yeah, day. because like there's the line in the previous scene where Alice like, what's more important, stopping the scuzz bag or busting a couple kids' silicon pot? Yeah. You know? So so Sam takes a sick day. You gotta wonder at this point, what does Skaggs think of Jake? He's locked up. Yeah. He froze up at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Whiffed it at the at the hippie place trying to trying to do the bust. Yeah. And now at last minute when they're getting ready to go on a on a on a stakeout, he just calls off sick. I think he's okay with the whole whiffing it on the stakeout thing just because yeah. just because he even makes the joke about oh you should have stretched you your legs partner. Yeah. Um but you're right. I, there is that and he, oh and he forgets his wife's name earlier. Yeah. Because his wife's name is Lisa. And yeah, 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 you don't yeah you forget your you don't forget your partner's wife's, wife's name, name right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think that, that more than likely, yeah, Skaggs is probably... And, and that's a really wonderful thing to bring up in general because I think it's easy for Skaggs to get a bit of the short shrift on this episode because it's not really what the episode's about. Mm-hmm. But Jason Beggy does a wonderful job, and I think that the, the, his 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 storyline, his arc, is there enough that you can kind of care about what's happening to him yeah um and and so at this point yeah you, you do have to think that more than likely skaggs is thinking that jake's a little bit of a flake mm-hmm. jake the flake yeah i don't know yeah uh, anyway uh speaking of jake while we're on this before we get back into the scene with beth we jumped over a scene earlier where we cut back to to boner and pusher and rosalita calling yes. in and talking to like calling the in a tip yeah with, uh, she has a tip for a narc called Scabs, and then we get this scene previously where the, the desk sergeant comes to Skaggs and says, hey, I have this, uh, Chiquita, I think that's, uh, yeah. I don't, I think, I'm, I'm gonna say that's racist, I'm gonna guess yeah. that's racist, yeah. uh, uh, on, on the phone for you, just saying, hey, I got a hot tip for a narc called Scabs, and I finally figured out, like, I think she's talking about you. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, I'll go check it out right. later on. And that's just setting up what, what's, what's yeah, the later scene. Yeah. But yeah, so so to this scene, Sam shows up, took a sick day. Um, they were supposed to get together like later that night, but he just comes by early. And uh, Dirk, Mark, a polite one up for Dirk. He polite, he palaciously, polite, <laughs> he politely bows out. Yeah. He's like, no, nope, I'm going. I'm on my way out. He has a little. I was just leaving. Yeah, I was just leaving. Did you give me a ticket. Yeah, Thought about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice little, nice little thing there. Yeah, and then, um, and then Beth throws out. And it was like, you know, like, hey, that's Dirk, the guy. We just keep running into each other randomly. The woman at the dock the other day, Dirk's mother, and yeah, all this it, stuff is mounting up. Yeah, and and so Sam's like, hey, maybe it's all coincidence. You know, I don't, you know. Don't elevate it to a Russian novel. I can't remember exactly the line there. <laughs> right, right, right. That, uh, that he throws she out. Says, she says it's like it's, it's like something out of a Russian, a Russian novel. novel. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't need to build it up or something like that. Uh, yeah. So she goes to get dressed. Uh, she has him put on a record. This is where we get Someday We'll Be Together. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if you pointed this out on or off mic before we started recording, but this is actually... Uh, do you want me? To, yeah, do you want me to launch into my whole spiel about the song in general? Yeah, go ahead. So first of all, it, it is a bit of an anachronism, same yeah. as the MIA bracelet that uh, Beth was wearing earlier. Yeah, because that didn't actually become a thing, uh, I guess, until about mid nineteen seventy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's a bit of an anachronism is the use of "Someday We'll Be Together" because the song was not released in the version that we're hearing um, 
until October sure. of 1969. However, I think it's incredibly poignant in its use here. Uh, sure. Which is very obvious. Uh, I think that it's even more poignant because I have always believed, and literally actually wrote a paper on this at one point in time, that the song is perhaps one of the most quintessential songs of the 60s mm-hmm. and is a perfect summation of the 60s. Um, it ends up being the last number one hit of the decade. Okay. It's the last song recorded by Diana Ross and the Supremes. It was actually released as a song by Diana Ross. It was not actually released by the Supremes. But, but it was indeed a recording for Diana Ross and the Supremes. It's the last song that was ever sung at their farewell concert. So it was the, it was the end in a lot yeah. of ways. Uh, it's the end of that era. I, I think that the song perfectly describes the feelings of an entire generation, uh-huh. in particular the generation that was indeed embroiled in the Vietnam War, of all of those young soldiers and young women that were waiting for those soldiers to come home. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a you know, perfect parallel to what they were experiencing. Yeah. I think that going beyond that, it represents beautifully the idea of the dream of the world that we were going to live in and we were going to create mm-hmm. and we didn't get there yeah. and that the dream got deferred by assassinations mm-hmm. and riots and wars but you're far away from me my love uh-huh. you know um, but someday we'll be yeah. together mm-hmm. and I think it's the idea that it is a deferment. It is not an end. It is not the eclipse. Mm-hmm. And I think that that entire decade means a lot mm-hmm. and is a vital and important decade within our history as a nation and even globally. Um, again, I fear in some ways that we've gotten enough distance from it and there's so many other distractions in the world today that maybe we don't look at it within the context that we should, but there's so many important lessons that can be drawn from just those 10 years alone um, and applied to the world in which we live in today. And uh, I think we're fortunate that we do have some of the pieces um, that are still fairly prominent, whether it be the music or the movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or the awareness of somebody like Martin Luther King and, mm. you know, and his assassination. Um, but I, I, I just think that, yeah, that the, that the song is an incredibly important piece. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a pop song. It's not, you know, imagine, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get there. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's not one of those songs that was written with a purpose sure. other than just being, Sure, a pop love song. Yeah. Um, but I think musically, I think that it's 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 a beautiful tune as well. Uh, it's performed incredibly, uh, and I just think that it's it's incredibly important to the time in which it was released, and it stands um, through the ages as sort mm-hmm. of a callback to the importance of that of that decade. Yeah. And I think obviously it's used here again. Yeah. It's fairly. Boring. But if you're watching this on DVD in the states. <laughs> This is one of those cases where I got placed with Muzak, and it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, this episode got massacred because yeah, of the DVD because of that. Uh, so one of our listeners, uh, Diana Green, like she messaged us through Facebook, 
and she was talking about, like, she lives, I, I think, in Australia, and she didn't realize until just a few weeks ago mm. the, the music issues that plagued people in the States, because we talked about it again on a, on a recent episode. We talk about it every right. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. yeah. But anyway. Um, and then, it's so it's at this point that she's getting dressed, the music yeah. is playing. Uh, she points out, she's like, yeah, you're right. Uh, I've always been too much of a romantic. My husband always accused me of that. She points over to the picture on the mantle, and then we look over, and we see a nice photo of... Of a very young Ow. Dean Stockwell. <laughs> yes, a young... It's not, It's clearly not a Photoshop. This is an actual, like, actual genuine photo, photo of, of, of Dean yeah. Stockwell. Which Roddy McDowell yeah. actually provided for them. Yes, and we'll come back to the later episode. That is significant to Quantum Leap fandom in, in a way later on. That's right. In a way later on down the road. Yes, but for is. now... Uh, Which brings yeah. back to Lisa, too. But anyway. yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll come back to that. So, yeah, in one Sam... Of Finest moments in the series, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Sam sees the picture, and yeah. the delivery of the line, the look on his face, the way his voice starts to break, it's one of the most perfect moments. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I yeah. I remember that 28 years later. Not because I've seen this episode 20 times. Sure. But because I remember because that moment. moment. Yeah. That moment and one other moment coming up. Come on, yeah. That Al has. Yeah. yeah. And it was... Uh, uh, it was at this moment watching the episode last night, just like the other picture of, of Al, Betsy was just like, oh, yeah, this moment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Sam turns to, to Beth, says, I'm not supposed to be here, runs out, explains again. At this point, he's just running off and leaving Beth again. You got to wonder, right, do, right. doing more harm than good. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. sees Al across the street, runs across uh you know, if you if you close that door, don't ever open it again. Yeah, I was trying to leave, and uh, I I don't I don't even, even want to like try to to, to to sum this scene up. It's just a well, it's just a it's a heartbreaking scene. There are so many great lines. Dean Stockwell's performance. The one line that has always stuck with me is, "If you're lucky, life is going to give you one shot at true love," and Beth was mine. And the one for me. Mm. In, in addition to Sam's oh Al that we mm. that we just got, it's she was the only woman I ever really what, loved. Yeah. That's the one that kills me. The one every the, time yeah. I hear it, not just the uh, the only woman I ever really loved, but the only woman I ever wanted to grow old old with. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why all of his marriages failed after that. Didn't work after that. And so they have a discussion about the rules, and Sam says we can't change our own lives. I'll say, like, Ziggy says is what you're supposed to do. Like, oh, the odds are way up there. Yeah, way and, up and Sam there, says, Sam. yeah, show me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, ultimately we come to, like, Al saying, you know, you're here to keep me and Beth together. And Sam says, what if it's something more important? Al says, more important. And then we... We cut to... We, we cut to the other story that's been building up to the entire episode... Skaggs walks into the to Boner and Pusher's hangout. Yeah. Uh, everybody clears out and sees the baby, which is clearly being just left for bait. Yeah. And he we, freezes. He freezes. We get like like the sound effects kind of give me the idea like you know he's back in yeah he's back in war. Meanwhile, Boner and Pusher come up behind him. It's it's just a replay of the story that he told. At the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And, but then, 
Sam shows up with a fucking shotgun and blows <laughs> oh my damn away. I mean, this is the third and fourth person that Sam has killed. I'm going to say they're killed. They're dead. Oh, God. Yeah, they're they dead. Be, right? And he was clearly bugged by having to kill Roger in Honeymoon Express. Yeah. Bugged by having to kill Nick in Heart Charm. Yeah. He almost has a smirk on his face at the end of this scene. I mean, the look on his face is definitely one of like... And it's interesting because if you think about what had to have happened from the time he said, what if I'm here for something else? And Al is like, oh shit, Skaggs is going to die. You got to get there to save him. Yeah. Sam hauls ass to the bar. Yeah. You know, grabs the shotgun, comes through the doors just in time. Like, he's in a loaded state. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, no pun intended. And I, I, I feel like, again, this is a emotionally difficult for him, too. As as indicated by his O'Al line. Yeah. And, you know, and having to kind of tell Al, we can't do this, it's against the rules. You know, and all that sort of stuff. So by the time he gets there, I think he's pretty pissed off about everything. Mm. You know, and also almost, almost failing, you know, in, his, uh. in what his real mission was. So that's what I'm... Using to justify his... Sure. Because you're right. The look on his face is one of just like, I am going to kill you. Yeah. And then he does. And then there's this sort of like this, yeah, I yeah. did it. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, and then we have this moment of, of Skaggs rushing in. Baby's okay. Baby's okay. Rosalina starts crying. Yeah. And, yeah. And then from there, we're, we're back outside Beth's place. It's a little bit later. It's getting dark. Yep. And, uh, like, watching the episode last night, like, I know, like, realistically, it's economy of storytelling, the episode is wrapping up, but Al's just kind of giving up. He's like, uh... Well, I think that Al feels incredibly guilty. I mean, he even says in the scene, you know, that, that he can't believe he let all that stuff get in the way of, Do, what yeah. the, you know, what the real mission is, that they almost let this guy die, basically. Um, he apolo- apologizes to Sam, even, you yeah. know? Um, and, uh... He even, you know, at this point, he's like, why haven't you leaped? And that's when Sam is like, you know, I think he wants to... Give you a chance. Give you a chance. And, like, Al is clearly, uh... Like, I can't can't, I can't be in the same room without, like, without without holding her, without touching her. And this is like, Sam's heart is in the right place. But when he says, like, how do you know? Let him grieve how he needs to grieve. Yeah, sure. I... But I mean, that, 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 that takes away the dramatic moment of the episode. But, but, I also, would even, but I would even say, realistically, I think one of the things that we need as other human beings every once in a while is a little push. You know, I think it's, it, it's selfish of us to think that, you know, there's this notion sometimes, I, I, I guess, of, of just, like, trying to do everything on our own or, or, or reacting however we're yeah. going to react or whatever. I don't know that that's always healthy. I think sometimes we do need that push from somebody who cares about us. And mm-hmm. I think in this instance, that's exactly what Sam's doing. It's just yeah. sort of like, you know, you don't know that. Yeah. And it's not even like he's forcing him to go in there. Sure. It's more just kind of like, how do you yeah. know? Sure. You know? So we come inside. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if, if you're listening, if you're, we're, we're about an hour and a half into this discussion. Yeah. You, you, you know this scene. We don't have to rehash it for you. Um, it is worth a note, uh, Unchained Melody is playing. Yep. Um, Again, this is an episode that is butchered if you're watching it on the US DVDs. 
Um, there is a weird parallel between the scene and the iconic scene in Ghost. Right, which would come out a couple of months after this. After this, and you got to figure, like, that probably been shot a few months before and production schedule TV. Like, yeah. they roughly come up with the idea around the same time. A few years ago, like, I didn't see Ghost all the way through the first time until, like, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And watching that scene, I wondered... Because Quantum Leap does have the tendency sometimes to ape, yeah. you know, recent movies. And I, it made me wonder, like, oh, I wonder if... If this scene was like Quantum Leap's hat tip to to Ghost, but then I think it just total, yeah, to, I think total it's coincidence. coincidence. Yeah, I think yeah. it's complete coincidence because I mean, a they don't dance to Unchained Melody; they end up dancing to Georgia. Georgia yeah, absolutely. You yeah, but, know, yeah. Um, but but and, it, and, still, it's, and it's not like using the the song to convey this emotion. Not the most original thought in the world, right? 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 right. Yeah. Well, uh, but you know, even even better though is is you know Al's telling. Beth, I mean, who can't hear him, we don't think, how, you know, how much he's changed, yeah. and, you know, and that he's an admiral now. Yeah, and, I know, love the know. line, me, the ensign, who used to say, anybody with the rank above lieutenant, what's a horse's ass? Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite lines. And she laughs. Yeah. And that's when he thinks he can hear her, and then, you know, the record plays, and then they dance, and it's, um, you know, he, he, he tells her, he, he, he tries Lays to get her to, to wait, and, yeah. and, and the th- the thing, the thing about it is that if you watch this episode and you don't watch what comes next, mm-hmm. you almost have to wonder: Does she? Does she? Does she? Does she marry the other guy now? Yeah. Does she? Does she feel his presence? Yeah. You know, there's that moment where, uh, uh, where like when he kisses her forehead or whatever, like her hair moves. Sure. And, yeah. You know, the the idea of like, is she able to feel him? There was a uh, like rewatching the episode uh, uh, last night. Even before he kisses her, like actually makes contact with her forehead. Yeah. He he grabs her he, arm. Yeah. He touches her. He touches her yeah. arm, and you can tell like there there's contact. Yeah. And well, and her hand is like is on his shirt at one point. It looks. Like yeah, too. I mean, it's like yeah. he, the 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 weird dance that they were doing. It would have been hard to right. to not accidentally. Nor would it have been important. You know, it's like if, I, if, I, if, I'm, yeah. if I'm, I'm directing gonna, that scene, it's yeah. like I'm 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 gonna. If somebody yeah, squeezes somebody, if like you know, if something gets too crazy, For sure, then I'm gonna yeah. play back. But but otherwise, just. Yeah, but be then close. yeah, he says, yeah. and Matt even like points in his book that in one version, like in a draft of the script, like it specifically says in that moment, Al is actually able to make contact. Yeah, with her. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a really catchy scene. Uh, we 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 get the 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 leap effect as much as we. We can't. I remember like being a kid, like watching the scene, like, oh, Sam must have been like right outside the window sure. on that other side. But you know, it, it, yeah. Well, and the thing is, is we get the leap effect, and, and and when it fades, Al is now gone. Yeah, and she's there by herself, and then she says Al, Al. and she starts crying, and then we get a freeze frame. Yeah, and that's the end. Um, this is one of like three times in the when whole series don't... when we don't get a, a traditional leap out. Yeah. Um, in the first, you know, the, the first time that that happens, uh, it, in syndication, that's not what would happen. Um, when it aired on USA, it, it would, it leaped into a leap home. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, did they, did they actually like take, 
So you got you, it, it didn't take the it didn't take serious the, talking to me. Sorry about that. <laughs> it didn't take the um, the Al moment out, but it takes the freeze frame out. So the leap happens. She says Al, and then it cuts to Sam sitting in the cornfield. Like the leap effect of yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, someone made a bad call. Yeah. Well, it's you know it, it's interesting because we've talked about a couple of episodes where tonally it's not seemed right to have the you know sure. the freedom being one for instance yeah. uh, or, or the you know the, the music play and this episode hits the mark perfectly because not only do we get the freeze frame as George is playing but then the actual credits ends up being Georgia and just a one take of Al and Beth dancing. Yeah. There's no you know That's what I right. mean? Yeah, it's just them. There's yeah. no there's no quantum leap theme music. There's no intercuts of a bunch of footage or stills. It's just them dancing to the song for that minute or whatever, however long the credits go. And then that's when we actually get the special thanks to Roddy McDowell for the photo, or photo provided by... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. now we can do, like, a little uh, a little post-breakdown here, like, spoilers for future episodes. Yes. Uh, while we're here on uh, watching the scene last night, uh, I assume you've seen Blue Velvet. Yeah. Uh, another movie... Uh, with with Dean Stockwell yes. dancing yes. in a very different way, yes. I, I like I remember like watching the episode last night. My introduction to Dean Stockwell was uh, was that scene. <laughs> yeah, from, I think we've talked about this. Before, was from actually. Blue Velvet, yeah, uh, because it's uh, I, I I didn't see the movie, mm-hmm. uh, but Roy Orbison ended up doing a music video mm. for. Uh, in Dreams, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ended up doing a music video for it, and he used footage of Dean Stockwell dancing in that wow. movie in his video. And apparently, it was a thing where David Lynch wanted to use that song in his movie. Roy Orbison said no. David Lynch said, "Screw you, I'm doing it anyway." And Roy Orbison was like, "All right, well, if you're going to do that, I'm using images from your movie and my music video." <laughs> uh, so actually, my introduction to Dean Stockwell before I even saw Quantum Leap, yeah, was him dancing to In Dreams and sure. that movie. Which, by the way, if you haven't, depending on your sensibilities, I don't know if you need to see all of Blue Velvet. Just go to YouTube, uh, Blue Velvet, In Dreams, Dean Stockwell. Just just yeah. look up that three minutes of the movie. Uh, it's Dean Stockwell in a very different light. I'm a, I'm a big David Lynch fan. I mean, I've talked about Twin Peaks before. I love Blue Velvet. I love Mulholland Drive. I love, you know, I mean, I, so so I, I'll do one further and say just watch the movie. Okay. Just do yourself a favor. Yeah. Uh, so other thing, so mentioned earlier, Skag's name, Skag's wife's name is Lisa. Yeah. Uh, so this, we're, we're jumping into spoiler territory for like way future episodes. Yes. So, cause I'm, I want to talk about something that actually has to do with the very end. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Gonna... So, uh, if you're watching the series along with us, uh, for the first time or you don't want anything spoiled for the future, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> Come back next week. We're, we're going to jump into future spoilers. Uh, it just occurred to me last night watching it that what if... Lisa is Lisa from A Leap for Lisa, Al's girlfriend. It does get wonky because she was dead in the original history and right. we're kind of in that history, the, quote, original history. Sure. Uh, but, it could, like, Don Belisario, I think he just loves the character name of Lisa. Yeah. Um, and so it just popped out on me. He's like, you know, how interesting would that be? I, I, I mean, that would be, I don't see why that wouldn't be very interesting, you know what I mean? Uh, it's obviously fan wank. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are clear in fan wank territory. But that said, uh, it, it's, um, 
It's interesting because clearly there's a lot of coincidence going on within the context of the episode anyway. Mm. You know, that, that Sam ends up where he does, when he does, mm. having nothing to do with Beth. Do you know? So, sure. So I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's definitely an interesting thread. Yeah. Um, um, but I think that the thing, the one thing, the one thing that I will say, well, okay, I'm about go to go, ahead. sorry, sorry, but I'm about to go even deeper on something else that really sure. is, that's tangential to this, but because Lee Harvey Oswald part two tells us that Sam saved Jackie Kennedy. Sure. When he couldn't save John F. Kennedy. Yeah. But originally Jackie was supposed to die. Sure. I'm hard-pressed to know for sure, but you would think even in the opening titles, which one would probably have to be like, well, does that really count as canon? Like, we see the image of LBJ being sworn in with Jackie Kennedy standing at his side. So, <laughs> it does make you wonder... Oh, this is the wankiest of fan wanks. It does make you wonder <laughs> if, just by virtue of Sam leaping... If everything that he will go on to accomplish is basically already happened within the timeline, if you will. Okay. In a way. Sure. That when he's leaping, not necessarily for Al and for everybody else in the future, but while Sam's traveling through time, his time stream that he leaps into mm-hmm. has already been affected in some way, maybe? Okay. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. No, I'll, but, I'll take it. You know, time travel is it's a weird thing. But, but I will, I will take that. But the, the the reason I bring that up is because then perhaps we could make the argument that Lisa is alive in this timeline. Sure, because we know that Sam will indeed go and you know. Yeah, it would work. Uh, I, I think Lisa from A Leap for Lisa and Skaggs would be the appropriate age that they could. That would make sense because could, she's. I mean, she, she they would be together. She'd basically be the same age as, like, Beth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it is also interesting to note, because I was looking it up last night, uh, Terry, I can't remember her last name, the, the actor who played Lisa. Uh, you, you, you're, you're more the Deep Space Nine Terry fan. Farrell. Terry yeah. Farrell, yeah. Uh, her and Susan Dial, so Beth and Lisa, mm-hmm. they, they look pretty close to each other, so Al definitely has a type. Yeah. Although, the interesting thing about that is that he does mention in another episode that his first wife was a redhead. I don't really care. He does, yeah. I don't really, I, you know. That, For sure. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. It's, it's, it is whatever it is. For sure. Well, I mean, you got, I mean, uh, you know, how much does Al play with, uh, history and fudging history, especially like anything in relation to Beth. Like I said, we were, we were talking about earlier how, you know, at one point he talked about like the 70s was the time of his life and he was an astronaut right, right. And blah, blah, blah. You wonder Which, like how much of that was like coping mechanism for, uh, uh, you know, like just trying to bury everything yeah. that had to do with because what, what I could do with Beth. What I could easily picture is that by, you know, he, he's back in 73 by like 70... Five, sure. I could see him out there having a good time, burying himself in you know all these other distractions to get his mind off of the fact that he was you know a POW for six years. That his you know wife had him declared dead and left him. You know that he throws himself into his work and women. You know, absolutely, of course he does. Why? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he do that? And so I'm sure that the late seventies were a party for him. I'm sure that at some point he went off the rails. He was drinking too much. Maybe that wasn't all he was doing. And that's when he runs into Sam when he's 
pounding on the vending machine and, yeah. you know, at the end of his rope and, and Sam comes along as this, you know, bright young doctor sure. with all of his degrees and says, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing. You wanna come along with me? And yeah. you know, Al's got the the clout in spite of his condition to kind of, you know, help sure. get the funding and you know, we take off from there. Yeah. Um so go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention that the other thing that's interesting about this that, that Matt actually does mention in his book um, that you know I I even thought about independently of the book is that we know from Leap Back that Sam did change things in Starcrossed mm-hmm. with Donna. Yeah. So while Al is trying to get Sam to change things for him, and Sam is you know telling him about the rules and everything. Al has to know that back home, yeah, that Sam's wife is there and that Sam doesn't know it, yeah, and that he can't even bring that up as like a trump card to be like, well, you changed your future, sure, yeah, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how, how I, I again, that is not I, I like. Well, I will certainly argue that there are some bits of continuity that were planned and that I think that they were thinking about. I don't think that's one of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think at this point anybody was like, oh, yeah, Donna's waiting for Sam. I think that that's something that they literally pulled out of their ass and were like, what if, you know, okay. like, yeah. like I think a year later they're sitting around the, the writer's room and that's when that idea started to get kicked around. Um, that's interesting. But but I think that, yeah, I think that that's worth Noting. Noting, yeah. yeah. Another fan wank worth noting, I think one of the novels throughout the idea of, of Sam leaping around in time, like the time, the timeline being constantly in flux, uh, one novel gave the idea that sometimes Donna was there, sometimes she wasn't. Right. Sometimes Al would come out of the imaging chamber and some personnel would change. Yeah. Interesting to know. Yeah. Um, but if you want to keep it a more streamlined thing... To your point, like, like, yeah, like him knowing, like, yeah, yeah, Don is there, yeah, but I can't tell you, you know, I can't tell you, and 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 the biggest reason why he can't tell has nothing to do with the project or the rules. It has to do with Donna has told him not to not tell to say him. anything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but uh, so so my thought on this episode is like watching it's like. Obviously, we are very biased. We think Beth and Al should be together. And even in this episode a couple times, like, Al makes the line, like, Beth making the worst mistake of her life. Like, Beth ruining her life. Yeah. Was Beth's life ruined when she married Dirk? What happened in the alternate history where Beth and Dirk were together. Bingo. Yeah, I know, right? I I, I wonder that myself. Um, uh, I feel like, like I said, it's been over twenty years since I read Pulitzer. I feel like that novel touches on this. Yeah. I feel like maybe even Beth and Al do meet meet in, in some that way. Episode or that book. The novel. Yeah. Um. Oh God. Now, now all I want to do is go and read it. Um. But the the yeah. Gosh, I just I I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't I don't have even a theory um you know in my in my mind i wonder if there wasn't something um crappy that happened <laughs> uh with them um it, you know if she wasn't happy with dirk perhaps sure. but that's all conjecture sure it's nothing all... ever gets mentioned about it at all for sure i i think and 
I have gone back and forth on this, not recently, because quite frankly, until we started doing the podcast, I wasn't really thinking a lot about Quantum Leap. Sure, yeah. Um, but certainly in like the late 90s, early aughts, uh-huh. uh, I did think about it quite often about the benefits of Al and Beth having stayed together. Mm-hmm. Are there any? Like, story-wise? Like, of course, for Al, the human being, huge benefits. Sure. But if I'm writing Quantum Leap, does does this change so much of who Al is and who the character is throughout the run of the show? And I remember having read, you know, on some of the message boards and you know, going back to, like, AOL and all that sort yeah. of stuff, people complaining about the series finale. Because in the series finale, if you're listening, you already know this, Sam goes, he... he says there's one thing that he didn't do that he needed to do. Sure. He goes back as himself, not yeah. as Rollins. Sure. He goes back as himself, appears to Beth at the very end of this episode, and says Al's alive and he's coming home. Yeah. He leaps out. We get a picture of Al and Beth together and their daughters, and, you know, they live happily ever after. They're, sure. You know, celebrating their 39th wedding anniversary or whatever. Sure. Some people were not happy with the way that this would have changed his character. Because we wouldn't have gotten this, you know, womanizing sort sure. of, you, you know, character that we were used to. In none of the stories about all the ex-wives. You know, one could argue that, you know, this guy wouldn't have known uh, about any of the stuff that he needed to know for um, uh, Thou Shalt Not. Because sure. he never married a Jewish wife, so he wouldn't know all these Jewish cousins. You know, sure. Like, how does it change Al? If this were the case. Now, again, within the context of the show, it doesn't change anything because Al's present doesn't change until Sam changes it. Sure. So the Al that we saw for five seasons is still that Al. But had the show continued, we would have had gotten kind of a different Al. Maybe not vastly different. Yeah. But a little different. Yeah. It's a thing where Al always remembers both timelines. So, like, we still have... Like the womanizing, you know, whatever, Al, because he he would probably remember that timeline, but now he has Beth. Yeah, it it would have it would have been interesting carrying on because we we, we also now know that the uh, the 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 lost finale mm-hmm. was shot. Uh, we I, I I am curious to know like were we going to see more of Beth going forward? Yeah. Uh, I really do think had it been picked up for a sixth season, we might have had a couple of weird leaps, and then we would have settled back into a more mm-hmm. regular pattern of shows, of, of, of episodes. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, what kind of owl would we have gotten in a sixth season? How much of Beth would we have saw in a sixth season? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know either. I do think it's also worth noting that there's something sort of almost predestined about the Quantum Leap project, which I don't know if I like entirely, and, I, and I'll explain that in a second, but with A Leap for Lisa, which we'll talk more about when we get to that episode, which is not for a while, it's, yeah. we're almost two full seasons away from that episode, but one of the things about that episode is that it sort of betrays how fundamental Al is to Project Quantum Leap. Because, again, I believe that the nexus for everything is Sam and Al meeting at that vending machine. Okay. I think without that happening, Sam might have had this dream, mm-hmm. this impossible dream, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, but it never would have actually come to fruition without Al's support and backing. Without help. 
Hmm. Um, because, you know, Al had the, the political clout, if you will, to help see it through. But we find out that in the eventuality that Al was put to death yeah. for murder, um, that somebody else shows up. Yeah. Played by, by Roddy McDowell. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that Project Quantum Loop still happened. Sam still did it all, but now he's got Sinjin there yeah. instead of Al. Um, which is fine. It's fun. I like the episode. I like that that's part of the episode. I'm not sure to complain against that. But it does make me wonder, you know, when, when these changes are occurring, does, what, you know, what, what fundamentally does that change about our perception of the show? You know, uh, somewhere along the way, I remember saying, like, Don Beller, Serio, like, answering... The, the idea of like, well, what does Al and Beth being together, what does that say for Project Quantum Leap mm-hmm. in general? And he said, like, there, there are some, like, predestined things. Yeah. And so his thing was, like, Sam and Al were always going to meet. There was always going to be a Project Quantum Leap. Yeah. Like I said, Leap for Lisa undercuts that because we do have a reality where Al died and somehow Sam was still able to get the project yeah. off the ground. Although in that short time, like we don't we don't really learn that much about Sinjin. Maybe Sinjin has some clout himself. I don't well, know. Well, furthermore, maybe it's also entirely possible that and we're we're going full in on some things for here. sure. But yeah. it's it's our season two finale wrap up, and we love you all, and I love yeah. Dennis, and so we're just talking. Let's go full fan like. <laughs> the other aspect here that is so important is Tom, mm. because we know that Sam in Elite Poem Part Two saves Tom. Yeah. So Tom becomes a senator. Tom ends up actually helping to keep Project Quantum Leap alive. Yeah. Now, you could then argue that maybe because he's already saved Tom at this point, that in the new history that's created, maybe Sinjin and Sam are friends, that's fine, but perhaps maybe it's Tom that ends up helping Sam get the project, get the project off the ground. Hmm. Because we know how much Tom believes in him and how smart he is and everything. You know what I mean? We yeah. get that in the Leap Home Part 1. Like, there's times when Tom's just sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm amazed by you. you yeah. Know? It's like, you're like, yeah, I might have a better hook shot than you ever will, but you're yeah. smarter than everybody in this town put together. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, I, I, I think that it's just interesting to think about the ways that things might have happened without Al sure. or with a different Al. Because, you know, you could certainly make the argument that Al banging on that vending machine happened even if he was with Beth. Maybe he just wasn't drunk and, you know, depressed. Maybe he was yeah. just pissed or, off. Or, or, or him and Beth know. were going through a rough or, patch at that point. Right. Because that's the other thing. That, let's be honest here. Like, yes, that's the only woman that Al has ever truly loved. And, and his mind, they're supposed to be together. Apparently in Sam's mind and God time, fate, whoever's mind, they're supposed to be together because that's how it ends up. But at the same time, we get enough information within the context of MIA that not everything was roses. Yeah. You know, she's, she's, she's been like, for the past eight years, he's taken me from place to place to place. I had to do this, do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, so there's this element of, by, by virtue of the nature of his job, of, you know, of going off and doing a tour in Vietnam and then deciding to go do another tour in Vietnam. Um, it does make you wonder, it's like, what was the nature of their relationship? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, is this a case, is this a case of Al realizing how important she was after the fact and not appreciated it in the moment, which I think that, makes even, that did occur to me as well. You know? Yeah. So I'm not, I, I don't know that Al for those eight years or for seven years that they were actually really together because, yeah. you know, he's been MIA for two years at this point, but for those like six years, 
if he really understood how right she was. Yeah, like if that's not something he didn't understand until he got back. Yeah, you know, or it was a POW and. Or yeah. was a POW? Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. I think that's the better point right there. You're right because when he's yeah. a POW, that's what keeps him going. Yeah, is the idea that I get to get back to Beth. Yeah, which is real and honest in a way that I really appreciate. Yeah, because that's I think that's just who we are as human beings. Often, sure, we don't get that in the moment. Yeah, you know, it does take something happening for us to get it. Yeah, <sighs> lot to unpack. We got more to unpack. We do. Next episode. We haven't talked about it and decided we're going to do Leap Home Part 1 and 2 as one episode I of think, the podcast. I or think we should. It, it's going to be a, an extra long one. I think I, I think maybe we'll ask the listenership. Yes. Do you, yeah. want, do you, want, do you want one big episode? Or, or, or do you want two couple, episodes? Yeah. Do, you want us to, do you want us to split it in half? Maybe we should split it in half. Maybe it makes more sense to do that. I mean, maybe. they are two separate episodes. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack. In each one, there is. I have a, yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. It's just like right. Sam's shifting views of the rules, depending on whether it benefits him, yeah, or Al, right? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot to talk about for sure. Oh, anyway, uh, well, we have we have we've gone deep. <laughs> we've gone deep. Yes. Um, and and we appreciate you sticking with us. And and again, I just wanted to comment about uh, me personally. This is something that I haven't even really talked to Dennis about about how grateful I am that we've been able to do this for as long as we have now you know yeah. we're over 30 episodes into the podcast we've uh, you know gotten through season one all of season two um, you know we've been doing this for like what like eight months now or something right. like that I'm up on that yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we're coming up pretty close yeah. we the third season we finally get to the namesake uh, to the podcast namesake that's right we'll hit we'll hit fate's wide wheel yeah. um, but I, I'm I'm very grateful that that you know Dennis that you bought me this book that you had this suggestion that we've been able to sit here and do this yeah. um, I'm I'm amazed sometimes that we have people out there listening Listen, to us yeah. talk about quantum leap. Yeah. It's a not it's a modest listenership, but uh, thank you. I, I yeah, I, I'm I'm just grateful for everyone that's listening. We really appreciate you guys. Um and we hope that uh the the next three seasons can continue to be as much fun as these first two yeah. have been. I think they will be. Um we got some exciting stuff I think coming up. A couple of sure. a couple of little things that we'll talk about in the future. Um, yeah, we have the poem part one and two. We have the Halloween episode yeah. coming up, and even separate from from episodes that we're going to discuss, there's a couple of potential things in the pipeline for doing crossover stuff. Yeah, you know, working more. with some other folks and getting some other guests and that sort of thing. So yeah. uh, some exciting stuff. But again, please, uh, as always, let us know what you think. Give us your 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 questions, your comments, your criticisms. Tell me I'm crazy. Remind me that Dennis is not. But but thank you again so very much. We really appreciate you guys sticking with us for uh, these two seasons, and we're looking forward to three more, plus the novels and the comic books. We'll get there somewhere. The spinoff show that'll happen by then. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. The audio plays that I'm sure somebody's writing. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Whatever else. Yeah. The virtual reality show coming soon to okay. your cell phone. I, sure. I don't know. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Thank you for listening. We're going to yeah, leave we'll out of here. Next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.
space and time I want to stay I want to go You see my face But it's not mine But you can't see You'll never know 